We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of New Year's Evil on December 19, 1980. It was written by Leonard Neubauer, based on a story by Neubauer and Emmett Alston, directed by Alston, and released by Canon Film Distribution, making this the fourth Golden Globus production after Happy Hooker, Schizoid, and The Apple. Director Emmett Alston has a Hitchcock-style cameo as a bearded camera operator somewhere in the stage <laughs> of the uh, of the show that they're filming. I don't think it was a featured cameo. No. Filming began in Los Angeles, California on October 15th of 1980. Oh my goodness. So this movie came out like... <laughs> Two months after production began, That's, which is insane. That is crazy, Ted. But it makes me certain that certain things were stolen from films from this year. We open on A City at Night, December 31st. In her dressing room, we watch Diane Sullivan, a.k.a. Blaze, getting her makeup done. Her manager bugs her about the schedule because it's almost showtime, and she asks him to find her assistant, Yvonne. We see Yvonne walking into her hotel room as a phone rings inside. It's Diane on the phone, and she wants to know if Yvonne got a hold of her husband. So she asks her manager to find her, but then finds her herself. Right. In, in well, order I don't to know find... if, her, if her manager like connected her with Yvonne. Okay. In order to find her husband, who she could call herself. Yes. Or she could ask the guy that found Yvonne to find her husband. To connect to the husband, <laughs> yes. <laughs> She says she called him in Palm Springs, but he sounded drunk already, and he probably won't be in L.A. in time for your show. She tells Diane she has to get changed and hangs up. Her manager, Ernie, tells Diane that she doesn't need her husband and that she can do all this by herself, which is very obviously true because he's not a part of the show at all. Right. <laughs> There's no part that he plays in her doing this show. In Yvonne's room, she's applying lipstick in her hotel bathroom when she hears someone trying to open a door. She notices that the door to her room is wide open and looks down the hall both ways. There's nobody here. In the bathroom, again, she keeps hearing water drip from her shower head and shuts the water off repeatedly. The second time she does this, she is grabbed from behind by an unseen stranger with a switchblade. I, I don't understand the logistics of any of this. So she hears someone at the door. She turns and looks out the bathroom door, which faces... The front door of this hotel room right so as she's looking out that door someone comes in without her seeing unless he was in the bathtub the whole time and she just didn't notice him when she leaned into it to turn off the water before but then who but opened the door yeah but somebody made a noise outside well we do see one person walking away mm. when she's looking up and down the hall oh but the person who is walking down the hall will see him later it's a man carrying a bundle of flowers. Okay. I, 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 I now I withdraw my comment because I see how flawless this movie is. <laughs> is it, though? I don't think he was a part of this murder. But she, she, uh, she's being attacked, and he's got a big switchblade. Now, are we to presume 
that it is already. It must be midnight somewhere. I was going to say, it must be midnight somewhere. I, it's like some, Margaritaville. Like in Greenland or somewhere. <laughs> uh, but he pulls a switchblade and he just stabs her repeatedly here in the shower. And we cut to the main drag of the city where Shadow's theme song, New Year's Evil, plays over a carload of punks arguing with the cars around them. I think this is the band in the car. Oh, right? Because otherwise... if not, I don't know who these characters <laughs> yeah, are. They never come back. <laughs> I was trying to like take meticulous notes about okay who who are these people? There's like to describe like, each of them individually. <laughs> there's like eight people in this car, and I cannot no. keep them straight. It turns out this carload of people is either the band Shadow or the band Made in Japan. Made in Japan. I think it's Made in Japan. I, it could be both of them mixed together. I don't know. I hope that Made in Japan is like a play on words, where it's just instead of the words m-a-d-e-i-n it's like maiden like m-a-i-d-e-n japan well like they're trying to be a clever pun because they have a little like um keep wanting to say cryon what is it called chiron a chiron lower third (laughs) (laughs) a chiron there's a chiron later like for the the show do they have chirons on in frame for the band i'm pretty sure when you're watching it on tv i thought it said made in japan somewhere so this is being broadcast on television and live on the radio. I yes. think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely on television. Uh, I love that we're using industry terms too. So people are going to be like, what the hell is a Chiron? Well, yeah. to, to be fair, I was like, what, is, what the hell is the thing called? So if you don't know what a Chiron is, <laughs> what are you even doing listening to this podcast? They're on their way to the Hollywood Hotline New Year's Eve special, which is nicknamed New Year's Evil, or at least she calls it New Year's Evil. I thought, mm-hmm. I think that's the actual name of the special that they're doing. Uh, but it's being hosted by Diane Sullivan, a.k.a. Blaze. They encounter a police officer at the uh, front doors to their hotel, and he has some sort of mental disability <laughs> because he just keeps <laughs> repeating, tickets, let's see your tickets, tickets. It, it reminded me tickets. of Fear and Loathing. Take the ticket, man. Take a ticket. Tickets. Tickets. Save your tickets. Tickets. Let's save your tickets. Don't get excited. One of the punks flips open a switchblade in front of the cop's face, but it's actually a comb. In real life, this guy would already be on the ground, and considering the LAPD may be already shot. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the building, Blaze's son Derek arrives with a bouquet of roses. She refuses to take them from his hands and asks him to put them in water. He tries to share with his mother the news that he's been cast in a television series called Spaceship America, but she's too distracted by her own pre-production. Got a part in a new series. Spaceship America. Ah, Ernie, I just remembered I want to see those press releases Yvonne has before she passes them out. Got it? Okay. It's really a good part. You want to get her on the phone for me, huh? Apparently Spaceship America starts shooting next week, and if it were up to me, the sequel would take place on the set of that show. She asks him to tell her all about this new gig over dinner after the show, which, I mean, presumably this show runs till midnight at least in los angeles right. if not hawaii so are, are and unless this isn't a nationwide broadcast but if it's not then well, where are they going to go get dinner at 1 a.m well it seems like it might be a nationwide broadcast only because they're linked up between so many different cities yeah so if yeah. it is then yeah are they continuing the show for another couple hours till hawaii is midnight or are they just screw them well they do well get ahead of ourselves but it's just in the a remark in the credits that they have 
the Hawaiian New Year's. Wait, did you finish watching the credits? Yeah. Oh yeah, we we need to go to Richard for our after (laughs) credits report. It's it's not it's it's like just before the credits they they have the radio broadcast playing about and it's the Aloha. Oh yeah, I did I did hear him say Aloha. That's like three hours. I was gonna say it's it's like three or four hours later. You you need to just probably cut cut the broadcast. Derek asks where Dad is, and Blaze tells him that he's at the club in Palm Springs. Derek's going to call and wish him a happy new year. And we cut to the stage of New Year's Evil, the show that Blaze is hosting. It seems like an MTV slash Dick Clark New Year's Eve type event. Blaze is essentially a VJ with no obvious talent. She's introduced as the first lady of rock, but she never does any singing here. And she barely dances throughout the film. She says that their show is also being broadcast on K-Rock FM, which is and was a real station in Los Angeles. I don't know if she's referencing KROQ, uh, but it's been running as K-Rock since 1973. So it was a thing in 1980. Yeah, it's still running today, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I just didn't know if that was an actual reference to the existing Los Angeles radio station or if they're just saying rock in general. Blaze touches base through video call with multiple locations across the country set to celebrate their individual time zones New Year's Eves every hour on the hour until New Year's Eve Los Angeles. They have remote teams in Times Square, Chicago, and Aspen, Colorado, where the beer flows like wine. But screw every other place yeah. that's in the United States time No, zone. we only need the major cities in each time zone, the, the most important city in each time zone. Apparently, the regular show has some sort of call-in element, Hollywood Hotline, and so they're using the phones here to have listeners call in and vote for the best new song of the year, and a team on stage is answering phones to collect a tally. I don't know if they're going to do like, if this is like TRL, Mm -hmm. and they're going to just announce the best song at the end of the night, but uh, Blaze answers the phone, and the caller votes for Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall, but she calls it We Don't Need No Education which is what some people right. think that song is called, which came out in November of 79. So it's not a song from this year. So maybe this is the 1979 New Year. I don't know. But based on the configuration for the December calendar on the film's Blu-ray with the 31st falling on a Saturday, <laughs> the earliest year this could have been is 1983 because the previous December 31st Saturday was in 77 before Another Brick in the Wall was released. Okay, the designer of the cover art apparently did not take into I'm, consideration. I'm sure the Blu-ray art was done <laughs> in like the 90s, but still, like, go back and look at the year that the movie came out, and then make it, it look like that December. Way too much effort for this movie. <laughs> Incredibly, the second phone call that Blaze answers at random is a psychopath looking to speak with her specifically, <laughs> even though it's calling in. The person is calling into a phone bank right. that is manned by <laughs> potentially hundreds of people. He gets the host of the show. He's using some sort of voice modulator, but he's also speaking in a very weird, slowed down rhythm as he goes. Ballet's here, a crazy new year to you. Happy new year to you, Blaze. Ooh, some kind of voice you got there. Sound like the Phantom. You could call me that. So you got a name, Phantom? Call me evil evil you bad honey no just evil (laughs) (laughs) what 
He doesn't have a song to vote for, but he shares his New Year's resolution to commit murder at midnight, making this our second consecutive film involving murder at midnight after the film within a film in Agatha Christie's The Mirror Cracked. <laughs> Evil elaborates that his intended victim is someone close to Blaze personally. Blaze throws it to Shadow to perform the film's theme song again, and they're performing literally the same track that we heard played over them driving to the venue earlier so he says the first victim is someone close to her personally which i assume is yvonne yeah because that's already happened because right. the, the next victim isn't is not anybody. someone she knows yeah, yeah. Random. first of all second of all how did he get all the way out to this hospital after he killed yvonne presumably in the same building right mm-hmm. didn't yvonne die in this building i think so but I don't think they're actually that far apart. Maybe. And, 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 and right he, now, he's not in this building. Right. So He's the, like driving full speed as far away as he can. Right. So after he killed Yvonne, he left and then got to a phone booth somewhere and made this call. But if his plan was always to get here and kill her, he could have just stayed in the building before they locked it down. Right. The song is actually a decent song. It's better than what we've heard from fake bands so far this year, which makes me think this is actually a real band. <laughs> but I could not find any sort of discography for them other than a two-track single from Canon Records for this movie called New Year's Evil. Well, I'm not cuz you keep you were mentioning cuz I was pretty sure it was called they were called Made in Japan, but you think they're called Shadow. There's two bands. There's two, There's bands. two bands. Yes. Oh. Why is there two bands? I don't know. And we never, <laughs> like, I don't notice a, a, a visible difference between the two bands. But they say all Shadow the, sometimes yeah, and they the, say Made in Japan sometimes. All the songs sounded, like, the same. But on the on the IMDb soundtrack, it lists some of the songs as being Shadow and some of the songs as being Made in Japan. Mm. I mean, stylistically, they're the same. They, they didn't all sound identical. Right. Blaze pulls Ernie off stage to ask if he heard the call. Holy shit, did you hear that? Don't let it bug you. Look, Ernie, I do not want any trouble. That guy was not your usual freak. Everything is going to be okay. Look, I would like some police protection just in case. We already got cops here. Well, why don't you get some more cops? Okay, okay. We get some footage of the crowd mosh pit dancing in front of the band, and they just look like a bunch of coked up blind people. Yeah. It's not even really mosh pit dancing. Well, and a lot of the just quote-unquote dancing that they're doing is just like bumping into each other yeah or just even like i feel like they were told they were in a zombie movie no, or they were supposed to be a mosh pit guys but it's this isn't the way a mosh pit moves they're not crashing into each other with high energy they're no, just kind of this is a this is like a punk mosh pit like this isn't like a, a posh pit <laughs> a posh pit sure sure <laughs> we cut across town where evil is hanging up a payphone outside the crawford sanitarium we're hearing a half-assed sound-alike for Harry Manfredini's Friday the 13th soundtrack. Well, it's not the only Friday the 13th thing we'll get in this movie. No, for sure. In the kitchen of the sanitarium, we watch a worker loading up a trash can to take it outside. While the man dumps the trash, Evil sneaks in through the back door of the kitchen. By sheer coincidence, the patients of the sanitarium happen to be watching Blaze's show and are dancing manically in front of the community television. It seems like they're doing the exact same dance yeah. as the people on set. A nurse, dressed exactly like the Blink-182 CD cover nurse, sneaks out into a hallway to light up a cigarette, and as she walks the length of a hallway, she suddenly crashes into a door as it opens, and she's surprised by a man coming out who she doesn't recognize. And who are you? 
Oh, I'm, I'm Jeff Winters. I'm sorry I'm late. They sent me over from county. Temporary help, they said. She buys this excuse hook, line, and sinker and offers him a tour of the place. She notices his tape recorder and he says, Yeah, I uh, always come well equipped. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> Including this. And he pulls out a giant bottle of champagne, offering to split it with her somewhere private before he clocks in. Jeff Winters and Jane Martin, as we'll come to know her, drink champagne from tiny paper pill cups in a break room. They slow dance to the blues track being broadcast from the New Year's Evil special, and we cut back to the live show where the mosh pit now looks like a pack of zombies bumping into each other. Yeah. Because now the music is this really slow blues track, but they're dancing to it the same way that they were dancing to the previous music. It's all they know. Don't be so insensitive. I feel like he's doing the dice thing too much. <laughs> it's the only movie knows. Backstage, Blaze is introduced to Lieutenant Clayton and Sergeant Green. They ask what they can do to help. Before she can even really explain what she needs in terms of protection, they tell her that the people threatening to murder her is a workplace hazard in the entertainment industry. Frankly, if you'll excuse my saying so, you've got to expect that from the type of audience you appeal to. Look, people close to me were threatened. Now, if you don't take that seriously, maybe we can find somebody in your department who will. Oh, we take it seriously, but... You people amaze me. Here you create a problem and then you complain about it. They advise her to keep the killer on the phone as long as possible so they have a chance to trace the call. Blaze steps away from the police to call room 408, which is her room. Her son answers the phone and she asks if he's seen Yvonne. I don't know why he would have seen her because he hasn't left the room. Mm Mm-hmm. And she has her own room that Blaze should be calling right now, especially in light of the information that someone close to her will die tonight and her assistant is missing. Derek tells her that he has something very important to say, and she's like, that's great, sweetie, as she hangs up. There's something you should know, something important. Listen, honey, I have to go now, all right? I'll see you in a little while. So, like, wouldn't you go as the police be like... Immediately check Yvonne's room. Yes. Yes. Right? Like, yep. why is nobody being like, okay, who do you, who is with you? And there should be someone sitting in there with Derek. Yes. Yes. Why is none of this happening? Back in 408, we see Derek take three red dreamers, <laughs> which I'm calling the pills that are like blue dreamers, but red. I don't know what they are because <laughs> he takes three of them, but they have no discernible effect on <laughs> yeah. them. He's really going to get out of the matrix. Yeah. He was already crazy when he took the three pills, and he doesn't change at all. He also seems to be suffering from headaches like every serial killer that we've had so far this year. Back at the sanitarium, things are getting hot and heavy. Jeff Winters lays Nurse Martin across a table, and the New York City remote team announces over the radio that they are one minute from midnight. At around 25 seconds, Dr. Winters reaches up to hit record on his tape deck, and at 10 seconds, he pulls out a switchblade, At zero, he gets to stabbing the nurse over and over and over again. Back at the show, the second band, Made in Japan, are performing a song called The Cooler, and the audience is now jumping off of stage equipment. Blaze moves to answer an incoming call, and coincidence of coincidences, it's evil again. (laughs) He not only got through to the phone bank again, but he got through to the host of the show for the second of three calls she's taken in the broadcast. Which is totally insane. If this is a nationally broadcast thing on television and there on the radio. There's thousands of people calling in every second. Yeah. This is evil. Remember me. 
Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to call back. He tells her that he's made his first kill and he plays a recording to prove it. He tells Blaze that the body can be found at the Crawford Sanitarium and that he'll call back in one hour. But she doesn't recognize the name of this sanitarium at all. Mm -hmm. At the sanitarium, the second nurse, tending to the patients alone, explores to find her friend Janie. Eventually, she finds a door ajar and then a bloody shoe on the way to her co-worker's body. Her neck is slashed, despite the multiple stabbings that we heard. Back in room 408, which we've made unnecessarily clear that Blaze's son Derek has never left, we see him taking a switchblade to a pair of pantyhose, and he tears the last bit with his teeth before pulling one side over his head. He speaks vaguely to his own reflection about some trauma in his past and people thinking that he's crazy. I don't get this character. I don't either. He's the worst red herring ever because he never leaves the hotel room. Yeah. Is he a red herring? I don't know what he is. I, I mean, don't know what the I, point I thought, is. I think he. I thought he was involved. I thought he was involved at the end. Oh, I in, don't in think the, he's involved. But when he kept saying like he's got something, some surprise for her. The fact that we've established so far already that he had nothing to do with Yvonne's death because he was walking away from her room before she was killed by someone who was hiding in mm-hmm. her bathroom and that he never leaves the room after that. But like he's, he a total, be... he's a total psycho and we never explain any of that. Yeah. Back on stage, Blaze is sort of dancing next to the band. In 408, Derek is mangling and eating the roses that he got as a gift for his mother. We see one of the cops receive a call confirming the death of a woman at the sanitarium. He goes further in detail than necessary when he tells Blaze about this. They found the body, a nurse carved up real bad, with deep lacerations around the neck and the chest. She somehow determines that this means the killer has Yvonne captive, when so far that is not this killer's MO at all. But she's like, oh my god, he must have her. And it's like, why would you think that? Why did nobody check her room yet? Yeah. We see Evil apply a fake mustache for little to no reason and enter a disco bar. He takes a seat and is immediately noticed by two women drinking at like, the end of the bar. Like, is he expecting to be recognized as himself? Or No it- one has seen him so far that right. didn't die. Like, I, I, at, at the sanitarium, the guy in the kitchen did not see him. The other nurse did not see him. Only one person saw him, and she's dead. I guess this is just a prerequisite of the disco, of the disco bar. era. <laughs> well, sir, you need to go back to your car and put your mustache on. No, uh, but <laughs> I, I, I do, I do actually think that he needs the mustache only because this is a much more crowded venue. So if someone asks, "Hey, have you seen this woman later?" It says, "Yeah, she was talking to some guy with a mustache." Maybe I'll buy that. Again, this movie's flawless. <laughs> <laughs> back at the studio, the cops tell Blaze and Ernie that this killer is going to kill someone at each midnight across the country. Not clear what they're basing this on, since he's only killed one person so far, Mm -hmm. and he only announced an intention to kill one person. At the disco bar, Evil tells the girls that he is a celebrity money manager and that he's headed to a party at Eric Estrada's place. (laughs) He invites one of the girls along, and of course she brings her friend because she's not a complete idiot. Right on cue, Made in Japan... The second band performing for New Year's Evil launches into their song, Dumb Blondes. Well, they may have empty hands, but they are Dumb Blondes. When Evil tells the blonde girls that he's driving a Mercedes, they seem impressed and completely buy into his money manager story. Backstage at the show, 
The cops play recordings of the most recent call from Evil and ask Blaze if she recognizes the voice at all through this processor that the killer is using. A stagehand asks if Blaze is up to introduce the Chicago New Year countdown. He suggests that Rip could take over for this one, and Blaze thinks for a moment before asserting her place as the host of the show. She's not going to let this killer dictate whether or not she's hosting. No. No, goddammit, it's my show. I'm not going to let this cutthroat ruin it for me. That's exactly what he wants. Though the guy seems ready to kill people either way and never said he wanted her off the show or anything. In the Mercedes, Evil is starting to get pissed off because he can't find a place to kill these girls and he's running out of time. One of them notices how panicky he's getting and recommends transcendental meditation. Listen, I do it every morning. Boy, that sort of stuff really works. I stopped biting my nails. Lisa got rid of her nervous diarrhea. Sally, please. Oh. After TM, as she refers to it, she moves on to TA, and then EST, Zen, and lastly, haikus, and she swears by them all. Though, disappointingly, we never get a haiku out of her. I was hoping that maybe her final <laughs> words would come in a 575. I was wondering if any of them did. I didn't go back and count No, anything. they didn't. Okay. <laughs> Evil tunes the radio to the New Year's Evil show when, luckily for him, Lisa asks to make a pit stop. Before Lisa heads in to use the liquor store restroom, Evil hands her a $100 bill to buy the fanciest bottle of champagne they've got. Now that he's alone with a potential victim, we are 15 seconds from Chicago's midnight. He hits record on the tape deck and asks the girl if she'd like to smoke some marijuana. Or actually, I think he says, smoke a number? Which I didn't, I've never heard that. Well, and then he says, I got it here in this gigantic bag. Here's yeah. smell. I'm clearly almost done with it because there's almost nothing in this huge bag. I, I smoked all of this before yeah. I came here. But uh, he offers her this big bag, and when she leans in to smell it, he whips it up over her head, and she's asphyxiated in this bag. Inside, Lisa is collecting her change, and then comes out to find that the car is gone. She finds another shoe and follows the trail of clothes around the corner to a dumpster in the alley. When the woman opens it where you think she'd be finding her friend's body, <laughs> she instead finds evil sitting there in the dumpster. <laughs> Which was brilliant. Well, it's it's brilliant because I did not expect it at all. That's what I mean. Not brilliant on his part. Yes, I just mean brilliant for the movie. <laughs> it's just as likely that she would be terrified to open this dumpster and just call the police. Right? Yeah. And then they would arrive and just find him in this dumpster. Right. But at the same time, you know, you're sitting there thinking, like, why why are these shoes left behind, yeah. like, in this pathway to the dumpster? And you're like, oh, so she'd go and check for her friend. But then he pulls her completely into the dumpster, and we cut back to Blaze backstage again, listening to all of this happen through a phone. Uh, I wanted to, uh, all the while, while this woman is walking towards the dumpster, we're getting Friday the 13th-esque. Yes. Like, and I was like, what? Yeah, we did that outside the sanitarium too. And it's just like, come on. But you know, earlier in the year, they were like, okay, we have to do this. Because mm -hmm. they didn't start this until October. So they had plenty of time to rip it off. As Blaze listens to the recording, she says, You know, you want sex out of a bitch, mister? You need help and you need a crack. And stop it. Shut up, bitch. You just tell the cops that I took out the trash from my last party. Ventura and Laurel Canyon. It was a real swinger. The location of this liquor store is now a FedEx. 
assuming the shooting location is actually the Ventura and Laurel Canyon intersection. The cops investigate the scene and find the dumpster, but when they lift the lid, a cat jumps out, implying that not only did the killer sit in a dumpster, but he pulled the victim completely into it, killed her, and then carried her out of it before lifting the lid and throwing a cat into the dumpster. (laughs) The cops continue to follow blood on the ground around the corner to a yard and then eventually like a playground where they find the bodies strung up to appear standing. One of them is like standing and hung on a swing in a swing set. And then they keep moving until they find the other one on a slide. But as they get to the bottom of the slide, the body just slides into view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, as we're panning over, we're on the bottom of the slide, and then the body slides in. But like, which makes me think the killer's just at the top of the slide, right? Just pushing her down because. Yeah. Uh, but also, they would have seen her while they walked up to the slide if yeah. she was sitting at the top. But maybe she's a, she was at the top, and she was pinned there with a two foot block of ice that is now melted. <laughs> Just in time to surprise the police. Happy New Year! (laughs) Also, what was the point of his clever clue of saying taking out the trash? If there's nothing in the dumpster. He wanted to scare them with a cat, that's all. (laughs) As we see Evil driving around, the radio in his car is now reporting on his crimes and warning people off the streets. The radio changes the subject to announce that William Fine has been named Secretary General to the United Nations likely a reference to executive producer William Billy Fine. Evil changes the station before slamming on his brakes and then skidding and crashing into a group of bikers. Collectively, they start to attack his car as he pulls away, and he sneaks into the Van Nuys Drive-In Theater for a horror double feature. They're doing a, a cool horror double feature for New Year's. We see a trailer for Blood Feast, not to be confused with Herschel Gordon Lewis's 1963 film. This is actually the alternate title given to the American dubbed version of 1972's The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. Uh, it was strange. I, I was trying to identify this movie. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Uh, because there's like this weird stop motion effect of a hand punching through some wood and then like searching around. I was like, It actually looks pretty cool. Yeah. I was like, but why did that need to be stop motion? But the bikers are somehow able to track him to the drive-in, and they drive in without paying for tickets. They just blow right past the ticket stand. The second half of the horror double feature, according to the narration, is Bloodbath, which is directed by Jack Hill and Stephanie Rothman. We saw Jack Hill's work earlier this year as the story writer for Death Ship. He probably also wrote the script, but for Canada money reasons, was not given screenplay credit. The biker gang finds the Mercedes at the drive-in, and Evil has abandoned it. One of them finds him sneaking around, and Evil pretends to be a priest for a moment, now without the mustache again, before shiving the biker in the ribs. (laughs) Evil heads to a car where a young man and woman are rounding second base in the back seat, and he pulls the man out of the car and tosses him aside before stealing it with the girl still in the back seat. He starts shouting at the guy, he's like, Where are the fucking keys? In the ignition! (laughs) So he steals the car. But the girl never gets out of the car. We're coming up on Aspen, Colorado's midnight celebration, and the girl in Evil's back seat is pleading for her life, even offering her body in exchange for her release. Evil flashes the knife at her and keeps driving. He has to slam on his brakes, though, to avoid hitting two New Year's Eve partiers that just 
wander drunkenly out into the street in front of him. That's to be expected on New Year's. Right. And while the car is stopped, the hostage opens her door and starts to make a run for it into the park. Which I'm so glad she did because yeah. I was wondering why she hadn't up until this point. <laughs> and eventually, as he chases her, he comes to some bleachers and he slows down. He taps on the bleachers with his knife as if this is going to help him find the girl somehow. Well, I think he's just trying to intimidate her into like making a noise because I'm not... I don't think he 100% knows where she is. Yeah, I can't no, tell I if he knows where she is or not because she she's does. in a direct line of sight from where he is. I don't think he does till the very end of this scene. A police car pulls over near Evil's abandoned stolen car and the partiers are pointing the cops into the park where a man just chased a girl. Also, th- th- this is all taking place in L.A. So you're telling me he went from Van Nuys up into what we're assuming could be Mulholland or, or something. I th- I think this is the park by Matt and Amanda. I okay. think this is still North Hollywood or Burbank-ish. But he didn't, hit, they, she, he didn't come to one stoplight or stop sign no. this whole time nope. in L.A.? He locates the girl, but just as he's bending over to reach for her, the cops show up. Though they don't actually, like, enter the shot. We just hear ADR of a cop saying, Hey, you, over there, police officer. And they never enter frame because i don't think they had actors lined up to play these characters (laughs) and uh we just hear their voiceover one of them asks miss miss are you okay but by then evil has run away scared of them so so he's botched this midnight right he Mm -hmm. screwed up the mountain time kill right he made up for it by having two extra kills on the previous on chicago time this i mean everything about this killer's like you know his his thing. I don't know what to call it. I mean his fetish. <laughs> yeah, what, whatever is causing him to kill at midnight. He's really sucking at it. Yeah, yeah. but he has killed he's only at least once. three people. He's killed three people, but he's only killed one at midnight. He killed two at midnight. He, he oh, two at midnight. Two, yeah. He he suffocated a girl and he stabbed a girl at midnight. And we don't know what time he killed Yvonne. That's true. It could have been midnight somewhere. And if it was, then he has three official midnight kills and then one other, just after midnight no, one, kill. One, yeah, and then one midnight came around with no kills. And then I don't know if that biker died that he stabbed at the drive-in. And maybe, the police officer later. Maybe that guy bled out and then died at midnight. <laughs> what was time. his plan before the bikers were chasing him? Like, he was wearing this priest outfit. He seems pretty manic. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think he just decided he was going to change costumes between every hour. More police arrive at the concert venue. A cop takes the stage and informs the audience that if anyone leaves, they will not be invited back, but the studio is too busy booing him for being a police officer. <laughs> Backstage, Blaze is informed of the new theory held by police that the killer is on his way here with an intent to kill Blaze specifically. Killing a named personality at the stroke of midnight New Year's Eve would satisfy his egotistical desire for attention. Make him bigger than the son of Sam, or the Zodiac Killer. All those psychopaths who have a need to be big in the media. She seems mostly bored by this theory, and the cop continues that the killer probably has a mother fixation since he has mutilated each victim's breast thus far. That we don't see this, but we also don't see a lot of the victims after they're killed. I mean, he stabbed, we see him stabbing at the nurse. Right, but when we see her body, it's just the it's cut just the throat, the throat slit. Yeah. yeah, and then he wasn't mutilating the one he strangled. Like 
and just put a bag over her head. Right. And the other girl slid down the slide, but she didn't have like boob slashes. She was just I don't think we got dead. the boobs in shot on that one. Maybe not. We get a quick insert of Derek just around the corner backstage listening to this whole conversation with the police. He's still wearing the red stocking over his head, but now with sunglasses on the outside of them. <laughs> I wonder how he's walking around this building without anyone noticing this weirdo. Evil arrives as a priest, having hitchhiked to the venue. Thank you, my son. You're welcome. Go with God. I know when Evil learns that he won't be admitted to the venue because he doesn't have a ticket and the cops have locked the place down, he sneaks through the parking structure. He finds another guard there and calls out for help with a drunk. Hey, officer, can you give me a hand over here? I think I found a drunk. The dumb cop leaves his post allowing Evil to knock him unconscious with a foam brick. <laughs> a very blatantly foam brick. Blade announces Made in Japan's next song, Bonsai, and we cut to Evil, completely changed into the cop's uniform, heading into the building. But the other cop doesn't seem to notice that his partner hasn't come back nope. from the call from a drunk and then this random well, other guy. He was inside when that when the when the guy called out. So he didn't oh, okay. he didn't know Either way, a, a cop he doesn't recognize just walked Bingo. by in that, that the uniform. That should be it, because he should know all the cops here, right? We see a group of makeup artists attending to Blaze, and she says she wants to change out of her outfit because it's uncomfortable. One of them offers to join her at her room, and she says that she needs some time alone. A nearby cop says, Oh, like hell you do. Listen, I'm staying with you. They just found one of my guys not cold down in the garage. That killer could be loose in this building somewhere. Yeah, I understand. What do you mean he could be loose? Isn't it obvious that the killer is loose in the building if one of the cops has been knocked out and yes. all of his clothes are gone? Yeah. Shouldn't you immediately be looking for people wearing police yes. uniforms that you don't recognize? <laughs> or at least even ask the other cops if you've seen a cop you don't recognize. The cops enter Blaze's room, gun drawn, and this first cop does a terrible job of clearing the room and eventually almost shoots her son, Derek, who's laying on the bed. Derek, I'm sorry. I forgot you were here. Haven't you always? Derek leaves in a huff. She asks the cops to wait outside while she changes, and he agrees. <laughs> Evil sneaks up on so, Blaze. Wearing, sorry. Uh, I, because, I'm laughing because my note is he leaves in a huff. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Evil sneaks up on Blaze wearing a Stan Laurel mask. Yeah. I really am upset by this. <laughs> what, the Stan Laurel mask bothers yeah. you? Uh, this is a connection, though, between New Year's Evil and Christmas Evil. If you'll recall, they watched Babes in Toyland. There. Yeah, that's true. So Stan Laurel has some sort of appearance in both films. When she finally notices him, she screams, and he says, Ooga Booga, in a jokey voice before removing the mask, and she recognizes Evil as her husband, Richard. Turns out that red herring they set up at the start wasn't a red herring at all. It was just the killer the whole time. The twist is there is no twist. Yeah, well, that I mean, instantly, the moment she started talking about her husband at the beginning, I'm like, oh, so it's the husband that's the killer. Right, because the only other option is that it's the son, and he never leaves the hotel room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he can't be killing people all over town if we're cutting directly to him not doing anything in her hotel room. He moves to introduce himself to the cop standing guard outside, and apparently he was using the restroom and decided not to come out when he heard them pull a gun on his son. Which tells us two things. One, that this cop didn't check everywhere in the room, which right. he should have done. And secondly, that this father 
didn't bother to interrupt a cop shooting his son right in the hotel room blaze confirms for the police officer that this is her husband and she closes the door again richard tells her that he came down as soon as he heard about that maniac calling into the show and she fills him in oh he's not just a crazy person he's actually killed multiple people now and she adds that yvonne is missing and the police have looked everywhere but haven't been able to turn up anything richard offers to stay by her side to protect her when blaze heads back to the set the cop asks richard how'd you get in here since the building is closed and he says oh yeah the agent approved me coming in see but this cop's doing his due diligence right he's asking he the right questions. yeah and then he reports i want to verify this story richard finds his way into the closet that houses the mechanics for the elevator shaft and he manipulates them with a screwdriver officer clayton gets a call that they found the abandoned mercedes at the drive-in along with a biker's body and the owner of the car is richard sullivan he asks ernie if richard sullivan is any relation to diane and he confirms yeah that's her husband's name the detective continues to explain that he kidnapped a woman from the drive-in and stole a second car now you don't think that he has just a second Lewis. starts the manager it turns out in the files at the sanitarium they discovered that richard sullivan was once a patient there which seems like something diane should have remembered when yeah. the killer said that there was a body at the sanitarium where her husband was staying well that was going to be my question like w- when was he crazy what does she know about him that's like, true if it was before she knew him and maybe she didn't know he was ever there but like this whole thing is so confusing to me because i feel like we don't ever really get any motivation from him. Yeah. Like, why is he doing this? Like, okay, I guess he's crazy. Or we get was a bundle deemed, of motivations all of a sudden. He was none deemed of them crazy sense. at the end, you know, saying he was in the sanitarium. But like, I don't like. I don't know. It just bothers me that it doesn't seem. It doesn't seem motivated to me. Right. Another cop tells Clayton that her husband is here in the building and that the manager approved it, but the manager says he did no such thing. I, I always knew that bastard was crazy. It's like, didn't you just a second ago say you don't mean to suggest like you were going to yeah. come to his defense? Blaze rides in the elevator to the stage with her personal guard and Richard watches on a monitor at the controls to the elevator. Suddenly, the elevator is completely out of control and Blaze is pressing buttons to stop it to no avail. The elevator plummets fast enough to either knock Blaze and the guard unconscious or to scare them into fainting, I'm not clear because we never get a good feel for the speed that this elevator is moving at. Richard breaks the cop's neck before he can fully regain consciousness, and he moves into the elevator as Blaze is waking up and pulls out his tape deck to play the most recent kill for her. And this is when she finally realizes what's going on. She asks him why he's doing this, and he blames her. Derek tells me the way you are around other men. Derek also tells me that you tried to turn on your own son and that is not nice but the way he says turn on <laughs> it doesn't sound like he's saying wrong kind of turn. you turned yeah. on him <laughs> it sounds like you turned him on derek also told me about the way you try to turn on your own son and that is not nice ladies are not very nice people they are manipulative and deceitful, and immoral, and very, very selfish. He tells her that this is why he started with Yvonne, which is weird, because if he was in the building and killed Yvonne, then we'd have to drive hours away to the sanitarium to kill someone at the next midnight. 
But like, the, I mean, okay, women are are evil and selfish, but like, he doesn't give us any no actual evidence against her things things that she's done to him essentially it just comes down to the fact that he's jealous of the fact that she earns her own paycheck and pays her own way and that he has to borrow money from her it's so thin yeah but he also complains about having to talk to yvonne if he wants to talk to her like he needs to make appointments with his own wife which is the same problem that derek is having lately he continues lecturing his wife about her treatment of derek he tells her about the job he got without even using her name and that she didn't care enough We see cops moving through the hotel, checking each room. And by checking each room, I mean knocking on the door and asking if there's any murderers inside. Yeah. But not actually checking the contents of any of these rooms. Richard holds a knife to his wife's throat as he chains her to the underside of the elevator. He tells her to give her time to think he's going to send the elevator all the way up to the top of the shaft and then send it crashing to the bottom. Enjoy your going away party. (laughs) Get smashed. As she's lifted by the elevator, we see her hanging from behind, but clearly replaced by a stunt guy wearing her dress. <laughs> On the way, she notices her assistant Yvonne's disembodied head is just jammed into the corner of the elevator shaft. Yeah. Which is a lot of work for her husband to have done. As the elevator is flying up and back down, the people inside of it now are freaking out. <laughs> the police arrive and start shooting at Richard as he mans the elevator controls, and he turns to return fire at them. They manage to stop the elevator before it crushes Blaze, and then they chase Richard up the stairwell to the top of the building. At the edge of the building, Richard puts the Stan Laurel mask back on, and the cops make him drop his knife and gun and put his hands on his head. But then suddenly Richard, the only non-actor of his family, starts reciting verses from Hamlet? To die, to sleep, no more. And by a sleep, to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. And then leaps to his death. He is surrounded immediately in the parking lot below by dozens of onlookers, including Derek, who finds the body very quickly and cries on it before taking the mask. See, this is why I think the son was involved. I, I think that From this, the beginning? I, I think that the son... I know we're at the end of the movie, and I should just say this, but I think that this was a planned thing between the two of them this Hmm. whole time maybe but the cops pull derek away from the body and he holds on to this mask and then we see blaze rolled out of the building on a gurney and all of her fans are obviously horrified to see her rolled out but she's at least conscious and she's loaded into this ambulance but once the doors to the ambulance are closed we slide up to the front seat to see the stan laurel mask on the driver and the ambulance driver is dead in the passenger seat implying that Derek has killed the driver and is going to steal his mother. But there's also an EMT in the ambulance with them. But uh, that he's going to continue his his father's work. Yeah. But you think that that was from the beginning and not just like, yeah, my dad was totally right. I'm going to finish what he started. Well, that's the impression I got is that this is more of a uh, uh, don't answer the phone situation where the killer instinct is being passed on to someone else. Hmm. See, I I felt that this was planned from the start because he he talks about a big surprise for her and then and then later he's he says this was all part of our our big surprise but now i don't want any part of it and oh, well that, that i thought line, the i yeah. thought the party was just that his father would be there at all mm. and he's just like well now you're you've pissed me off enough that i don't feel like giving you this cool surprise okay or whatever 
I, 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 I mean, again, I don't think there's enough information. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I don't have enough information to base this, but I got the feeling just because he was so crazy and weird this whole time. And they both have switchblades, which again, that's true. It's, yeah. it's just an odd thing to carry. Yeah. And assuming that, like you said, the sanitarium might not be that far away, it's possible that he just killed Yvonne and then went straight to the sanitarium like 45 minutes away or something like mm-hmm. that for the next kill. And it's just the same guy doing the kills the whole time. But uh, it's still a weird choice to kill one person completely outside of the structure of your yeah, plan for the for night. for sure. And why? Because he didn't seem to have a problem killing randos. So yeah. why go back to the sanitarium to kill somebody? Because that's what other than to leave a clue to yourself. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's the only thing. Because this nurse certainly didn't know him. Yeah. Like, if you were going to go back to get like your revenge on your on your like nurse ratchet, then... it might make more sense if each of them were people that she knew from her life. Yeah. But to yeah to specifically or... just be like, oh, by the way, I stayed here. The cops will figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a weird choice. And driving his own car around is it his own car oh, i yeah, guess cause, yeah because yeah. the car's registered to him when they find it at the drive-in uh it weird choices all around and and i really wanted him to commit 24 murders yeah i i, I or more <laughs> based on half hour time zones yeah uh, i i'm going i'm going to i'm copywriting uh this movie pitch idea where Interpol is tracking a murderer who is traveling to each time zone. Did he zone. steal like a, a Concorde jet? <laughs> like, how is he getting around the country? I don't think you could sneak around in a Concorde jet. Because <laughs> you have to move a thousand miles an hour to circle the globe in time to kill people in every time zone as they hit midnight. Unless you're literally just hitting them with the plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. You just lure a guy no, out no, onto you, a you runway. You have them on the plane. And, oh, and then okay. you there throw you one out. So it's like around <laughs> every the world. hour. It's like around the world in eighty hours. Yeah. But you're killing a person on the plane every time. It's a mystery on the plane. It's it's among us, but yeah. on a plane. It's like uh, the murder on the murder. Concord Express. Yeah, that's <laughs> took my line. <laughs> <laughs> Our director here was Emmett Alston. This is his second film after Three Way Weekend, followed up with Nine Deaths of the Ninja, Tiger Shark, Demon Warp. And a ripoff of Three Ninjas called Three Little Ninjas that came out the following year. He was also briefly attached to another slasher called Lover's Lane, set to star Wayne Newton, but investors backed out when investigative journalists linked Newton to organized crime. Writer Leonard Neubauer, this was his last credit. He has a handful of credits dating back to 1940, but nothing especially recognizable. The editor here was Richard S. Brummer. It's the same editor we had earlier this year for Schizoid. Cinematographer Thomas E. Ackerman. He was a DP on Frankenweenie, Back to School, Beetlejuice, Moonwalker, Christmas Vacation, Jumanji, and Anchorman. That's some good credits. Yeah. Roz Kelly played Diane Sullivan. We'll see her in Full Moon High next year. She played Flaps in Curse of the Black Widow, but is probably best known for her portrayal of Demolition Derby Driver and eventual Fonzie girlfriend Pinky Tuscadero on Happy Days. As is required of every Happy Days character, she was given a sort of spin-off, though weirdly taking place in the present, 
without Pinky aging at all. It was called Blanksy's Beauties, and it lasted a season. On November 29th of 1998, she was arrested for firing a 12-gauge shotgun into the living room window of a neighbor's house after a car alarm woke her up. <laughs> Luckily, the neighbor was not home at the time. Wonderful. She was sentenced to jail time, which was minimized to 90 days, and she was on parole when, on October 27th of 2000, she was sentenced to 120 days in jail after pleading no contest to charges stemming from an August 25th, 2000 arrest for hitting a man with her cane. <laughs> she also appeared as a plaintiff in a 1996 episode of Judge Judy. Oh, wonderful. Suing her plastic surgeon for a leaky breast implant. <laughs> Kip Niven played Richard Sullivan. He was Astra Chan in Magnum Force. He was Lieutenant Thatcher in Airport 75. Walter Russell in Earthquake. And he acted exclusively on television after this until 2001. He didn't do another film for 21 years. Chris Wallace played Lieutenant Clayton. We had him earlier this year as the psychic in Don't Answer the Phone. Grant Kramer played Derek Sullivan. This was his first film, but he'll come back as Mike Tobacco in Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the lead <laughs> character of that film. And also the newly announced, well, not newly announced, the announced return of the killer clowns from outer space in 3d which still has the kyoto brothers attached but the imdb page hasn't been adjusted since 2017 so yeah i don't know if that's ever gonna happen <laughs> louisa maritz played sally she was rose in one floor of the cuckoo's nest gloria in up in smoke myra in death race 2000 and carmela in last american virgin and we'll see her next year in Under the Rainbow. That's the... Sally was one of the ones that got killed? Yeah, the funny one that, like, was talking about transcendental meditation and uh. all that stuff. She's very funny. Jed Mills played Ernie. He's Wilson Mooney on Twin Peaks. He was Dirty Harry Punk number four in The Creature Wasn't Nice and Jack Hardy in Casino. Taffy O'Connell played Jane. Jane is the nurse who was killed. Mm -hmm. She'll play Damia in next year's galaxy of terror and more recently she played mona in the change-up which is the ryan reynolds jason bateman body swap movie jenna franks played nurse robbie that's the other nurse from the sanitarium she has mostly soundtrack credits from having co-written jethro tull's aqualung with her husband frontman ian anderson hey, aqualung! john alderman played dr reed he played carl benary in the stuntman earlier this year and also a bookie in baltimore bullet jerry chambers played the clerk at the liquor store apparently he's a former laker <laughs> he didn't have much to do in this film and mark l rosen played drunk number two that's one of the two guys who wanders out into the street in front of the stolen car he was a producer on this film as well as alligator and schizoid earlier this year i don't know about this one I do. <laughs> I know exactly about this one. I think it's probably a thumbs down because there's nothing especially great about it. And there's not a real solid confrontation with the police at the end. No. They just kind of chase him up and he jumps and that's Oh, it. it's definitely a thumbs down. I mean, as I don't know. It, it's, I just, I, in my head, I can't get over the fact that they shot it in two months and that it comes together as well as it plus. does. <laughs> but look at Schizoid. I think Schizoid took longer and it looks like they shot it over a weekend. I guess. I'm just saying that it's 
just because they accomplish something that's crazy doesn't make it good. Kind of yeah. like this podcast. I mean, <laughs> you're saying our podcast isn't good. We're just doing something. You're not crazy. allowed to tell the listeners that. <laughs> it doesn't make it good. <laughs> no, I, I'm I just think... saying it doesn't. It's it's not an automatic for me just because you accomplish a crazy feat. And I know it's Golden Globus, and it's not like uncalled for for them to do something so so quick. But uh, I th- I think that what they put together feels like a horror film for a surprisingly little amount of time. But I shouldn't be factoring that into whether or not the movie is worthwhile. But also a surprisingly little amount of horror. Yeah. That's true. I mean, the body count is, is I guess, okay. But, but most of the stabbing but, happens off yeah, screen. Yeah, it's all yeah. off screen. It's a super thin motive. I, like, I just... There, it doesn't it feels have much like going for it. It's not a surprise. It's so much like Schizoid 2 that it feels like yeah. they're ripping themselves off. Because in, instead of being someone with a column, it's someone with this televised yeah, program. disgruntled husband, you know. And it's the same thing. It's the it's the husband. Yeah. Who, I can't tell if they're separated or not. Yeah, uh, it, it seems like they're separated but still work have a working relationship yeah which is the same as schizoid yeah exactly. which is that they work in the same office but they're not married anymore but they only ever refer to him as the husband yeah but but at least the husband in schizoid had a b plot of of wallpaper <laughs> well and i think but they... did you do it <laughs> <laughs> i like this guy too though i i really like the actor i'm surprised that i don't recognize kip niven for more stuff I think that Schizoid did a little bit better of layering in motive throughout because we had all those sort of therapy sessions where they're bashing uh, the yes. husband uh, no, and agree. stuff like That's that. True. And like this one, I felt like they 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 tacked it on in the end. Like, oh, he he really hates his wife and he hates women for for not caring about him. And I don't I don't know. Like, it just doesn't. There was more than there was here, at least. Yeah. yeah. There was just it was literally just I don't like women because you make me ask you for money and it's like I don't make you ask for anything you ask me for money and I give it to you and you don't like that you ask me for it. Yeah. But uh and I guess he's crazy. Like that also seemed very tacked on. Oh by the way, at some point or another he was in a sanitarium. Yeah, and it seems like <laughs> his son has inherited whatever problems yeah. he has. Like we don't really go into those problems at all. But I really did like the Sally character from the bar that's just like... She was great. Like, she starts out as like, oh, man, it's so sweet. Like, I'm, I picked up another girl and I'm going to be able to kill someone on time. And it turns out she's just super annoying and she's got all these ridiculous hobbies. And he's just like, God damn it. And she brought a friend along. Now I have to find a way to separate them. But uh, that was fun. But yeah, it's probably a thumbs down, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, would you really tell somebody to go watch no. this? Yeah. So it's a thumbs down. I feel bad saying down to any Golan Globus movie. I don't think I've done that so far. Maybe I have. Maybe they're all thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm it's probably my whole you life. You know what? It's a thumbs down <laughs> for sure. Um, so is that three? Yes, that is three <laughs> solid th- thumbs downs. For some reason, Richard really liked this one. <laughs> yeah, this is the first <laughs> slasher where he's the only thumbs up. Um all right, Letterboxd, what are we thinking, Jess? Oh, it's pretty low. I have it at 132. It is below Times Square and above First Deadly Sin. I'm going to start moving mine. It, it actually might be below First Deadly Sin. I don't know. It's it's a tough one. 
Richard. First Ed Leeson was more boring, so I think it's I think it's above that one. I think that's fair to put them <laughs> close to each other. Richard, what do you think? Um, I have this at 147, uh, just below He Knows You're Alone and just above The Apple. Okay. So I did not care for it. It's pretty apple. close to The Apple on mine, too. Um, I actually have it in 90th, so it's in my top 100. It's just under Motel Hell. And it's just above One Trick Pony. I mean, we only got a couple movies left for the year, but I have a feeling it won't make the top 100. Well, it's definitely going to make my top 100 because there's not enough to push it out. You said it was at 99. No, 90. Oh. I think that's everything for New Year's Evil. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Raging Bull, which IMDb describes like so. The life of boxer Jake LaMotta, whose violence and temper that led him to the top in the ring destroyed his life outside of it. We leave you now with the trailer for Raging Bull. The Bronx Bull, the Raging Bull. Let's hear for the great Jake LaMotta, ladies and gentlemen. I'm the best. And I can take him more than anybody. You're dead, you're married. Leave the young girls for me. There's no way I'm going down. I don't go down for nobody. Listen with him. Why does he have to make it so hard on himself? If you beat Trigger Ray, you'll get a shot at the title. You feel that way? There's no one else around who wants to fight me. They're all afraid. There's a lot of bad things, Joey. Maybe it's coming back to me.